I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. It always surprises me how many listeners we get from all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Some people that write into us all the time are in Australia. We haven't said a single thing about their history. No, we haven't. And the thing is, it's because I don't know much. I know they have scary bugs and cool animals. Unique wildlife, people with crocodile in their name. Yeah. The, these are the things I know. Uh, uh, apparently, you guys have really nice McDonald's. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what, I, that's what my mom told me. The McDonald's <laughs> are really nice. So I thought I would educate myself Yeah. A, a, in order to, to you know do something nice for them. Yeah. So. so I hope this doesn't sound remedial as heck to all y'all. Uh, but I want to talk about the beginning of the colonization of Australia, which means convicts. I hope no, people, no one from Australia will get mad at you about this for going to like the one fact people know about their country that isn't animals <laughs> <laughs> or scary bugs. Technically, scary bugs are animals. I don't consider them to be. I consider them to be demon walkers. <laughs> Devil spawn with all their legs and all their eyeballs and ugh. well, we're gonna keep our aim at, at creatures over two feet high. Leaves kangaroos, very few bucks. Uh, Are there any prison kangaroos you're gonna talk about? Yes. What? What? <laughs> well, let's go. Let's get the show on the road. All right. So, we're, since these are colonies, we got to talk about the colonizers a little bit, right? So, Britain in the 1780s had a bit of a problem. I'm sure they did. Well, we're, we're descended from, from the big problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a big Yankee-shaped problem. Uh, they were in the middle of losing a huge developed set of colonies. That's not a problem for me. <laughs> in the midst of this crisis, uh, a man named James Matra and his friend Sir Joseph Banks had an idea. Uh-huh. See, they had both sailed on James Cook's 1770 voyage, where he charted uh, a bit of land he called New South Wales. Uh-huh. Uh, Matra wrote a proposal for establishing settlement in New South Wales in 1783, which started with this quote, I am going to offer an object to the consideration of our government, what may in time atone for the loss of our American colonies. Mm-hmm. Basically, hey, we got... This other land over this other ocean. We can go invade other continents. It's fine. And eventually he was right. <laughs> so in this essay, uh, this like pamphlet that got published and spread around, he argued it was the ideal place to grow tea, tobacco, sugar, cotton, all that good stuff that was making some, some cha-ching at the time. It was a, a place to keep American-born loyalists like himself. Uh-huh. Quote, we may draw any number of useful inhabitants from China agreeably to an invariable custom of the Dutch in forming or recruiting their eastern settlements. Yeah, people don't talk that much about, you know, Dutch slavery in Indonesia. Yeah. But uh, James Matra did and said, hey, we could do that too. He also said that, that uh, this would be a tactical holding in case of future war with Spain or Holland, you know, disrupting their trade routes uh, and attacking their overseas possessions. Mm-hmm. From the other side, aha, pincer maneuver. This whole pamphlet only has one mention of the indigenous people to say that they won't be a problem. It's, don't worry about it. It's fine. 
They they get one like sentence. One very offhand reference. Yes. We're just you know invading their whole world. It's fine. It's fine. So if we rewind back to the voyage where he saw this land with his own eyes, Cook wrote in his journals that Matro was, quote, good for nothing. There, there was one, I don't know, misadventure on the boat uh, where the ship's clerk had his earlobes cut off in his sleep. And Matro was the prime suspect, although that was never, like, proven. Because how do you figure that out? Yeah, sounds if only people could see my face right now. Sounds like a lovely guy, really. Um, yeah. But his plan, again, was like, hey, just people who want to go out and colonize and especially a haven for all these loyalists who are fleeing the American colonies right now. That's who should settle. Mm-hmm. The next year, after some talks with uh, some people in government, he, the plan was amended to propose using convicts as settlers. Mm-hmm. So then it started really picking up steam, and uh, on the 13th of May, 1787, the first fleet sailed out. Uh, the 11 ships established a settlement on the 26th of January, 1788, which is now hailed as Australia Day. Uh-huh. Uh, and the colony was proclaimed on the 7th of February, 1788. Uh-huh. So let's talk about transportation. That's the name of the sentence that was handed down that just meant we're shipping you off somewhere. Transportation. Oh, so not uh, like, you y- know. Instead of being sentenced buses to. Buses and. Right. Instead of being sentenced to imprisonment or to death, you would be sentenced to transportation. I actually legit thought you were going to talk about, like, the, the boats. The boats? Like, let's talk about transportation and how they got to Australia. So let me tell you about the schooner. Like, that's really where I thought we were going with transportation. <laughs> it did indeed involve boats. How did you know? Even though I know transportation is also used in regards to prisoners, <laughs> it did not dawn on me in that minute. By the end of the 1700s, there were over 200 crimes on the books that carried the death penalty. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Opinions were beginning to change on that. It was called the bloody code for a reason. That's that's a lot. If you stripped into someone, you were sentenced to death. That's what that sounds like. Well, if you stole, say, five shillings or more, or, you know, something of that value, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they had all these criminals, right? Uh, Great Britain was full of criminals because uh, the, the... Everything was a crime. <laughs> there were a whole lot of crimes on the books. But there were a lot of crimes on the books because of the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. The, the increasing urbanization, the creation of uh, a destitute working class mm-hmm. getting churned through the factories. Yep. We're, we're talking about Charles Dickens times. Yeah. Yeah. People are forced into poverty, and thus they need to survive Mm -hmm. because there's nothing there for them. And the well-to-do middle class doesn't want this riffraff, so what are we going to do with them? We say that they're doing more crimes, and we're going to ship them away. Exactly. Uh, And where did they ship them? America. Ah. Yeah. Over 60,000 prisoners were shipped to America. Uh, We don't talk about that for some reason. It does get overlooked a lot, uh, though, though I read many a historical fiction books about prisoners mm-hmm. shipped to America. It's just they never, like, use that term, because then they become, like, indentured servants and stuff. Right. Like, they'd be forced to go work for someone to, like, pay off their crime, 
but mm-hmm. it, it just continued to work. And it's work. it's the exact same system, except the the free settlers came first in the American colonies case, and yeah. then they started sending uh, convicts. Oh, oh, you need a maid yeah. and a servant. Well, Here, we got hire, this lady who stole a dress, so yeah. let's work something out. Yeah. Uh, Maryland apparently re- received more than anyone. Like, not a majority, but like a plurality of yeah. the 13 went to Maryland. Uh, but this process stopped during the revolution. Yeah. Seemed pretty foolish to send a bunch of people away to, to potentially work for the enemy. Like, they probably don't have a very high opinion of the crown when they're being sent over as prisoners. Yeah. Let's not risk it. Uh, so some were put to hard labor working for the war effort at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, others were just kept in prison hulks, just great big ships full of prisoners floating offshore or even beached. Mm-hmm. Just got to keep them somewhere. But then Matra and Sir Banks's plan started getting traction. The idea of prisoners as a labor force fit in perfectly. Yeah. We send convicts over. We put them to work building the colonies ahead of other settlers. So when the free settlers come, there's already roads and there are wells and there is a, a building for the, the government that's already operating that got mm-hmm. built by prison labor. And after their sentences were over, convicts were often pardoned and given a parcel of land. Like, there you go. You, you did it. You live here now mm-hmm. if you want. I mean, they, they could get passage back as well. But like, Why? They probably ha- didn't have any land at home. Yeah. They're like, well, you get a boat ride to a place where you have nothing. Mm-hmm. Or you can have some land. Yeah. Pretty sweet deal. you know deal. which one they're going to pick. Since you're there, you're already a prisoner. Like, what's the worst they can do to you? Uh, so punishments, for if you acted up again, included lashings, uh, being hung in gibbets. For the, the worst offenders, being transferred to more severe colonies. Yeah. They just get there there was a hierarchy and you just get shuttled down the ladder. You're gonna go to a place that's worse than this. Here is a, a abbreviated list of several crimes that could be punished by transportation. All theft above the value of one shilling. Okay. Thefts under the value of one shilling. <laughs> so all theft. Hey, if it was exactly one shilling. You're fine. <laughs> No, you'd just be locked up at home. Uh, You you gotta, like, prices right it exactly. Yeah. Congratulations, come on down. You're the winner of your own cell. Yay! Uh, Setting fire to Underwood. This is not Carrie Underwood, mind you. Uh, Bigamy. Uh, We just want to get you out of here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stealing a shroud from a grave. Look, if you need the shroud that bad, I say take it. Yeah, I You guess. get to keep that. But the, the biggest, commutation from the death penalty. Any of those 200 hanging crimes could become transportation crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but th- those were the common charges. There are some less common charges that, that made up a, a smaller sliver of the population. Uh, unnatural offense, which is a fun little euphemism. Darlin, mm-hmm. what was unnatural offense? Well, I'd prefer to think that it's probably something like you're a witch, but I'm sure it's more like you kiss someone that's not of a different gender. Yeah, yeah. That's what the court termed homosexuality. Mm -hmm. That that whole umbrella of of related behaviors were all criminal and all uh, hanging crimes. 
So you might get uh, hung, you might get life transportation. Or if you are an accessory to unnatural offense, you might just get transportation of 14 years. Ah. Yeah. Just for letting two guys have sex in your room uh, while you, like, didn't, I don't know, turn them in. Yeah. Convictrecords.com.au is a fun little resource. It's a database of 35,000 convicts searchable by uh, all sorts of of fields and uh, lists unnatural offense for 12. Oh. Yeah, not that common, at least not of the ones that they have named offenses for. Yeah. But there were hundreds of thousands of conflicts transported, so yeah. multiply that a few times. It's a it's a small uh, like test group we're looking at. It's a small but significant sample size, yes. Yeah. There were also a whole lot of social reformers and, and uh, rebels and revolutionaries. Australia was the, the destination for a lot of political prisoners. That makes sense. Send them away. So the, the Swing Riders, uh, in 1830, the mechanization of threshing machines uh, was putting a lot of agricultural workers out of work mm-hmm. and depressing wages for the others. So there is this mythical figure called Captain Swing Captain that they Swing. invented. Uh-huh. And like uh, anonymous laborers would write letters from Captain Swing to uh, uh, the major landholders in uh, villages telling them to just reduce burdens on the poor and break all their machines or else Captain Swing is coming for them. Ah. And then when they didn't do that, there would be hundreds of rioters breaking the machines themselves. Yeah. So rioters that were caught were uh, loaded up on boats and sent to build Australia. Then there were the Toll Puddle Martyrs, a group of seven men who tried to form a labor union against lowering agricultural wages. Mm. Uh, They were sentenced to transportation, and a petition for their release received 800,000 signatures. Dang. And the first, like, mass demonstration march for labor rights in uh, Great Britain. Wow. Wow. They were pardoned after two years for good conduct. Oh, that's good. Also to shut up the 800,000 people. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they were bugging it, them a lot. It helped. It helped. The Scottish martyrs, well, well, we got some martyrs going on. These were five Scotsmen who promoted the ideals of the French Revolution. The French Revolution was not very popular among any other nation with a monarchy. Yeah, probably not. They were sentenced to 14 years for sedition. Uh, Their charges included distributing the works of Thomas Paine. Ah. Like, give me liberty or give me death, Thomas Paine. Yeah. Yeah. One of our boys. Yeah. Yeah. Then there was the Chartist movement, a fairly widespread movement of of working class political reformers. Uh, Their reforms included uh, universal suffrage and uh, giving members of parliament a salary. Hmm. Because without that... People who weren't already wealthy couldn't afford to be elected to parliament. Yeah. Uh, so it, it seems odd that that reformers would want to pay, you know, elected officials more, but it's so that poor people could conceivably become elected officials and not die. Yeah. Be thrown out on the street. At least 60 Chartists were uh, transported. The, the biggest slice out of this uh, sort of category of convicts were Irish rebels. Makes sense. In 1798, Ireland was declared to be in a state of insurrection. 
English officers and magistrates were given power to punish anyone they suspected of treason at their discretion. They were also protected from any consequences from abusing this power. Of course they were. There's this this indemnity. They they could not be sued uh, if they were were found to be in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Checking the records of Irish convicts often doesn't show a charge listed. They were just Irish Basically, yeah, transported for the crime of being Irish. Yeah. So that that's the 1798 rebellion, but there's the 1803 rebellion, the 1805 or 06 rebellion. If we ever cover Irish history, which we probably will before the show's over, yeah, we'll get into that in more detail. But for now, it's important to know that there was unrest continually that kept spilling over, which meant a steady stream of political prisoners being transported to Australia. Yeah. And then there were some just other outsiders and and outcasts from wherever they came from. Say, black South Africans who broke the white South African laws Mm -hmm. got transported from one colony to another. Any orphans who committed crimes were prime candidates for transportation to fill Australia's factories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Servants accused of stealing from their employers, and not every accusation was made so honestly. It's easier than firing a guy. No mess, no fuss. Yeah. Case closed. Aborigines that came into conflict with the settlers could be arrested and put in the penal colonies. Of course. There were also a lot of women uh, accused not just of the usual crimes, theft and whatnot, uh, all the thousands of kinds of theft on the books. Yeah. But also moral misdemeanors like found in the yard of an inn in an indecent posture for an immoral purpose. (laughs) Which is an actual charge. And it sounds like that means prostitution. Maybe just or, having outside kinky sex. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or public indecency is a shorter way to say that. Or, or just like loitering if you really want to bring it down. Yeah, I don't know. Although prostitution was a hanging offense. But then a lot of people charged with hanging offenses were transported. So there Showing you go. Showing a knee was probably a hanging offense. <laughs> like... In their court dates, many women intentionally goaded the courts so they would be transported so they could rejoin their husbands. Ah. (laughs) There's a lot of... uh, Some free passage. There's a lot of cases of uh, magistrates being mooned. (laughs) Nice. So now that you have an idea of of what would get you there, let's talk about what was there. the, Mm -hmm. The actual penal colonies. Okay. First was New South Wales. Uh, We already mentioned it was founded in 1788. Uh, Life there was pretty hard because they only brought enough food to live off until they could grow their own. And they didn't send any farmers. Yeah, you kind of need people to know what they're supposed to do to get that going. That that took longer than they expected. They, They ran out of their stores. They were hoping that the second fleet's arrival in 1790 would help. But that fleet, instead of being run by uh, the crown, was uh, privatized. It was managed by private companies who were doing things on the cheap. And the convicts that arrived on the second fleet were too sick and weak to work. Ah. Uh, Over one in ten men died on the way uh, in the second fleet. And a guard was brought up on murder charges when he returned to England. Mm. Uh, but they dismissed it. it. It didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Australia's first free settlers arrived in 1793, including some convicts who had served their sentences, sailed to England, and returned back with their families and their belongings. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, as the colony grew and expanded, it remained the main port of entry for uh, convicts for, for quite a few years, who were an important labor resource. Uh, transportation to New South Wales was suspended in 1840 and ended in 1850 over the objections of mine owners, uh, factory owners, and other business leaders who didn't want these ruffians getting pumped in anymore. Mm-hmm. The second to be founded was Norfolk Island. Uh, it's this small island between Australia and New Zealand, but farther to the north. It's about a thousand miles uh, in a straight line from Sydney. Okay. Uh, it was settled by members of the First Fleet uh, to claim the island before the French did. Mm-hmm. And in 1790, more settlers from Sydney came uh, to escape Sydney's starvation conditions. But the ship sank... Uh, destroying the stores they brought with them and stranding everyone there. Yeah. Yeah, not not great. Uh, it became its own penal colony in 1824 for the convicts that did more crime in Australia because it's so remote. Like, it's sort of Alcatraz style. Nobody's going to escape from this island. Yeah, you're not going to swim away. Uh, Governor Darling said, quote, Every man should be worked in irons that the example may deter others from the commission of crime. Uh, and also called it, quote, A place of the extremist punishment short of death. Yeah. Norfolk Island is the one fa uh, most famous for being most severe. Yeah. But despite the those statements, despite that intent, uh, more than half of those detained at Norfolk Island were detained without ever receiving a colonial conviction. Uh, and only 15% had been reprieved from a death sentence. These were not the the hardened, unsavable criminals mm -hmm. that... Uh, these were not murderers. and Right. These were people who stole a pair of pants or something or a loaf of bread. Right. The, the overwhelming majority had committed nonviolent property offenses. Uh, the average length of detention was about three years there. And the scale of punishments inflicted on the prisoners was significantly less than assumed. Uh, the treatment of prisoners in Norfolk is a topic where history is actively being done to separate truth from legend. Uh -huh. So the, the popular image as this hell at sea uh, came from a novel based on primary sources uh, for the term of his natural life. That was the title, for the term of his natural life. Mm -hmm. But it, it's come to light that these sources were cherry-picked for sensationalism and then with the expected, you know, novelist punch-up. Yeah. So we know that a bishop did tour and then gave testimony to uh, Parliament about how, you know, shamefully these prisoners were being treated and that it was a disgrace. But we don't think they were entering murder-suicide pacts with one another <laughs> You know, for the sweet release of death. Yeah. Uh, some Somewhere in between. <laughs> somewhere in there. Yeah. So then we get to Von Diemen's Land. Uh, this colony was founded in 1803. Uh, it became a separate colony from New South Wales in 1825. Mm -hmm. New South Wales is now one of Australia's states. New South Wales became one of many Australian colonies, but at the beginning, it was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So once Von Diemen's Land got up and running, it became the primary destination of transported convicts. It accepted 75,000 of them. That's a lot. That's about 40% of the total. In August 1829, 
the ship Cyprus set out from one side of the island to the other, uh, carrying uh, some supplies and also prisoners who were being transferred from one work assignment to the other. Uh, on the way, the convicts staged a mutiny, marooned everyone else, you know, the, the sailors, the marines, the uh, prisoners who didn't participate in the mutiny. Uh-huh. Uh, and they sailed north. Seven of them disembarked at uh, Niuatoputapu, which was then called Keppel Island. Mm-hmm. The others tried to trade for supplies in Shikoku, Japan, before getting chased out. The remaining mutineers scuttled the ship near Canton, and four of them worked for passage from China back to England with the East India Company. Huh. Uh, but one of the ones that stayed behind in China ratted them out. Oh, that jerk. And the ship carrying the news back to England arrived a week before the ship carrying the sailors did. Oh. So uh, they went on trial for their various crimes. One of those mutineers became the last person hanged for the crime of piracy in Britain. The mutineer who sailed the ship, the only one who had any sailing experience, so they, like, elected him sailmaster. Yeah. He was sent back to Von Diemen's land and died in Port Arthur. Uh, the crew are recognized as the first Australians to have landed in Japan. Yeah. There, there was an account uh, published about their whole travels, but people assumed that the, the Japanese adventure was something they just made up. Mm-hmm. Like... Japan saw no outsiders during this period. This is when they were their most cloistered. There's no way. But then, very recently, like in the 2010s, a historian compared this book to this uh, Shikoku Samurai's uh, account of seeing some weirdos who they, you know, chased out with swords. (laughs) And they line up. There you go. (laughs) Like... One of the things they tried to do to trade for supplies was giving uh, the Japanese their first boomerang on, in the <laughs> entire island chain. Nice. It didn't work out well for no. anybody. Uh, Port Arthur was another prison for the twice convicted, and their system was pretty similar to Eastern State Penitentiary, which oh. we talked about uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, it had the same sort of hub-spoke layout where a guard could stand in the middle and look down all the hallways. Uh, they, they practiced the silent system where everything was very quiet and, and prisoners were left hooded to contemplate their crimes. Mm-hmm. It was purported to be inescapable, but a few tried and even fewer managed. One that got real, real close was George Bully Hunt. Mm-hmm. He stole a kangaroo hide to use as a disguise, and he nearly made it out. <laughs> the fatal flaw was that the prison guards weren't treated particularly well either. They were very, very hungry, and one of them took his rifle to shoot the, the uh, kangaroo for <laughs> meat. He's like, oh yeah, dinner. This is awesome. Hunt noticed he was being sighted, like, threw off the kangaroo skin, threw up his hands. Like, no, no. <laughs> and he was taken back in for 150 lashes. <laughs> so, yes, we talked about a kangaroo prisoner. We did talk about a kangaroo prisoner. Now, most Vandemonians, after they served their stay, after they got their pardon, uh, went just to the north to the then colony of Victoria, Uh, But the free settlers there didn't really want all these former convicts around. Uh, And they pressured the end of transportation to Van Diemen's Land, which uh, uh, ended in 1853. They renamed it Tasmania shortly after. 
And now you know the rest of them. Yeah. So let's talk about Victoria. Okay. Uh, Victoria never received convicts directly as a separate colony, but it was built by them back when it was just the the southern part of the New South Wales colony. Mm -hmm. So y'all ain't so high and mighty. The first planned settlement in what in the land that would be Victoria was founded in 1803 and abandoned after about two months. <laughs> Not D- very long. Didn't last long. While they were all packing up to leave, a few convicts escaped into the bush yeah. and got left behind. Now, one of them, William Buckley, walked out of the bush 32 years later to <gasps> greet another group of settlers that had come to the area. Oh, and offered his services as an interpreter with the local Aborigines. He had, he had been living among them. Yeah. And his account was also published and, and made uh, some printers in England, a, a fat stack of cash. Yeah, I yeah. imagine. Queensland. Victoria and Queensland, both named for Queen Victoria. Yeah. Popular lady back in Victorian times. Well, yeah. Yeah. Brisbane was founded by convicts in 1824, uh, but transportation only lasted there for 15 years. Even so, Brisbane's Tourism Bureau is very proud to have the oldest surviving convict building in Australia, the Windmill Tower. Oh. It's also the oldest surviving windmill. Uh, They they put Australia's first, like, TV antenna up there. It's a very historic windmill tower. Is it just, like... A regular windmill, or was it used for... stone windmill, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Western Australia. Not named for Queen Victoria, oddly enough. Is it the western part of Australia? It is! It really is! Okay, that makes sense. Convicts started building Western Australia in 1826, but weren't transported there directly, right? They, They were transfers from Tasmania, primarily, until 1850. After the practice ended, or was about to end, everywhere else. Mm -hmm. It was the only colony not to practice convict assignment, which is just what you were talking about earlier in the American example, assigning convicts to work for private individuals. Yeah. Assigning them to a household as a servant. Assigning them to uh, a mine or a factory as labor. Yeah. Instead, they worked for the public good. They worked on public works. Uh, First... They built the jails where they were kept. Of course. And the offices that administered them. And once those were done and dusted off, they built the roads. They built Perth Town Hall, which still stands today. They built the governor's house. You Uh, you have them build their own place first, and then they develop their skills, and then you send them to build stuff that still stands. mm Mm-hmm. Government House, which is the name of the, the governor's mansion in Western Australia, is huge. Yeah. It is bizarre how, like, gorgeous this this giant Australian mansion is. And their governor still lives in it. And it was built by prison labor. It's got to feel a little weird. The White House was built by slaves. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Things are the same all over. Uh is it a good time for a break now? It's a great time for a break. I'm choking on my words. <laughs> okay. Very thirsty boy. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with some more. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. So we've been talking like 
zoomed out, high-level stuff. Let's get personal. Oh, what crimes have you committed? Not that personal. Let's talk about some individuals. Some notable transported people. Okay. We'll start with Mary Wade, the youngest person transported. She was 11. Oh, what a hardened criminal. She was sentenced to death by hanging. Of course. For stealing another girl's clothes. She was part of a mass commutation of women on death row. Just a whole lot of would-be executed women, all with one stroke of the pen, were were then uh, commuted to transportation. Mm -hmm. She had 21 children uh, in her life. What the f***? She must have started at 11. (laughs) One of her many, many descendants over the generations is Kevin Rudd, former two-time prime minister of Australia. (laughs) He served a few years, and then later he served a few months. Australian politics is wild, (laughs) y'all. Isaac Nichols, uh, after receiving a pardon at the end of his sentence, as again many, many did, he got a job as superintendent of public works and invented Australia's first mail system. He noticed that whenever mail would come in off the boat, there was no way to be sure that the person who took it was who was supposed to took it. Yeah. So he had an idea. Whenever mail arrived off the boat, he would take it all, keep it at his house, check the addresses against the public register, and let the recipient know they should come by for their mail. Ah. And charge them a shilling for his services. Ah. More for packages. Oh. If you were fancy, he'd he'd deliver it to your door. That probably cost more. Thomas Griffiths Wainwright, he was an artist. He appreciated the finer things. He lived in luxury. Uh, In order to live in luxury, he learned to forge signatures so he could pay for all his uh, uh, expenses. Yeah. This landed him a life sentence of transportation. He also bought a life insurance policy for his uh, young, healthy half-sister just before she died. And then he spent five years or so in France. Yeah. Um, You know, that sounds a lot like things I've talked about in episodes. We all know that life insurance in the 1800s was only bought by criminals. Exclusively. I really want to know when buying life insurance became not something you did when you were planning to commit a crime. It's when Alex Trebek started advertising it. (laughs) That's the moment. That's the moment. Like, he's like, we're going to turn around all these people killing their loved ones because of life (laughs) insurance policies, and we're going to make it a legit business. But he was not convicted. Obviously, there are a lot of rumors. He got convicted for for the forging of signatures. Ah, yes. That's that's what you get them on. That's what they had. Tax uh, evasion. That's what they had square evidence on. Yeah. He was assigned to work in a hospital, and in his spare time, he started painting portraits. And his work is our best source for the faces of Australia's founding generations. Oh. James Hardy Vaux, he was the son of a butler, and he was sentenced to transportation three times. <laughs> his first sentence was seven years for pickpocketing a handkerchief. Uh, he served his sentence and uh, snuck off the ship as soon as he arrived back in England. Yeah. His second sentence was life for jewelry theft. He, he robbed a jewelry store. <laughs> he was like, well, this time I'm going a lot bigger than a handkerchief. Oh, he was charged on a whole lot of things, but apparently he had a lot of friends. He he told a real good story, always wriggled out of it. Yeah. But they, they finally nailed him uh, for, for this jewelry store that he knocked over. 
He was pardoned on the condition that he never leave the colony after serving 11 years of that life sentence. He left anyway <laughs> after he lost his job in the colonial secretary's office and made his way back to England, which then led to his third sentence, another seven years for forging banknotes. When he landed in Sydney, he was recognized and the life sentence was reinstated. Yeah. It wasn't until he got back that they were like, hey, Wait you're a supposed minute. to like, be here. I remember you. Not like the courts back home being like, why are you here? Didn't you get fired because the colonial secretary didn't want a, a former convict working in his office anymore? Hmm. Uh. That job is the one job he had that doesn't have a record of being accused of some sort of crime. <laughs> and it's the one he got fired from. Of course. During that second transportation, he wrote the first full-length autobiography and also the first dictionary written in Australia. Someone has to write the dictionaries. <laughs> but it's a very weird thing to think of like, yes, I wrote a dictionary. It was specifically a dictionary of like scoundrel slang. Oh. Thieves can't for, for the fantasy fans out there. Yeah. yeah. He wrote it for his boss, the colonial secretary. Writing dictionaries and, like, alphabetizing back then had to have been painful. Yeah. Because you think you got it, and then you learn some about some other word that you forgot, and you're like, damn it, gotta rewrite this whole page. Oh, manual typesetting. Forgot aardvark has two A's. <laughs> Another notable transported Australian. Uh-huh. Mary Reby, or Ryby. Mm -hmm. uh, she was arrested at the age of 14 for stealing a horse. In her horse-thieving days, she, she lived disguised as a boy by the name of James Burrow. Oh. This landed her a sentence of seven years transportation. In Australia, she married a ship's officer who then turned entrepreneur uh, who died and uh, left her with seven children and a whole lot of businesses to manage, mm -hmm. which she did expertly, it seems. Nice. Uh, the Bank of New South Wales was founded in her house in 1817. Nice. Uh, she became a well-known philanthropist and is on the Australian $20 note. <laughs> hey, America, get with it. Put a lady on a bill. And one that uh, I, I'm sure you're aware of, Sweeney Todd. What? What? Sweeney Todd served a 14-year transportation sentence to Australia. Uh, oh, yeah. Beginning in 1973. Uh, he, he's a fictional character, of course, <laughs> from Penny Dreadfuls. But then a playwright named Christopher Bond wrote Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber, Fleet Street in the early 70s and added this whole backstory to give him a, a motivation for his crimes. Yeah. And that became the primary source for the Sondheim musical six years later. Ah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. One of the events in this period, the, the penal colony history of Australia that jumped out to me, was the Castle Hill Rebellion. Was there a castle on a hill? There was a hill named for a castle that was not there. It was a, a conceptual castle. Okay, there either needs to be a castle on the hill, or the hill needs to look like a castle. It's a metaphor, I think. I'm not sure. I'm not okay with this. We're, we're now talking about 1804, right? As we mentioned way back in the beginning, Irish political prisoners kept coming in bit by bit. Many of them had participated in the uprising of 1798. Mm -hmm. So now it's 1804 and they're just getting news of the rebellion of 1803, making a lot of waves and then getting quelled. Mm -hmm. And they're like, our, our brothers need help back home. 
We got to do something about this. Uh, action is needed. The plan was that they would revolt and Australia would be run by the Irish and they would begin sending ships back as reinforcements so that Ireland would be run by the Irish. Oh. This was not the first rebellion planned by any means, but it was the first that actually went anywhere. The first that wasn't prevented before it began. Yeah. So a, a convict named Philip Cunningham devised the plan where they would take over Castle Hill, then uh, go pick up over a thousand more convicts uh, from the, the work camps and settlements uh, along the river. Then they'd all join up and march south and take Sydney. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the whole shebang. It's like the one real city that exists. You have Sydney, you have uh, uh, New South Wales. Yeah. Bing, bang, boom. There's a, a new Ireland in the Pacific. Co-conspirator John Cavanaugh set fire to his house at 8 p.m. on March 4th, which was the signal to start the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Cunningham led uh, hundreds of convicts in seizing weapons and supplies from around uh, Castle Hill. Guards were either overpowered or they joined in. Uh, and then nice. convicts split up into raiding parties as they moved through the countryside, raiding farm by farm to get more supplies, more food, more weapons, more rum, why not, uh, more members, because all these homes, they're probably going to have a convict or two. Yeah. Or more. They might just be a whole family of convicts. Happens. Some of those parties got lost in the night. Oh. And some uh, had second thoughts and defected went and ran and, and, and tattled, yeah. <laughs> raised the alarm. Uh, the force Cunningham had in the end numbered 233. Uh, those that he was able to rendezvous with in, in the dark night uh, elected him king of the Australian Empire. Nice. And renamed the land New Ireland. Ah. They had seized one third of all weapons in Australia, which sounds impressive until you realize, oh, that means they're outnumbered two to one in weapons. Yeah. Because <laughs> all the other ones are going to be pointed at them soon. Yeah. So yeah, be- because of those defections, news moved faster than the convicts did, and the governor declared martial law. Uh, troops and civilian volunteers were organized to face the rebellion. This took all night and, and went into the morning as the New South Wales Corps was just trying to track down these convicts in uh, following rumors and, oh, last I heard they were on this hill. And, oh, well, they were here a couple hours ago. Now where are we going? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the convicts are trying to find other convicts. They're, they're trying to drum up those extra thousand that they were planning on finding. Neither party was particularly successful and, until they eventually met. Yeah. So uh, Cunningham responds to uh, the, the calls. You know, of course, when they meet, it's, it's very polite. Leaders ride out in, into like a, a no man's land in between under, under flag of truce to discuss terms. And they're like, hey, stop it. And Cunningham says, death or liberty and a ship to take us home. And he rides back. The commander of this force, uh, Major Johnson, and this friend of his, you know, a, a priest and some other officers are like, well, that didn't work. Let's let's try again. But we've got a plan. Oh, yes, we do. So they call for another meeting. They ride out and they start to discuss terms. And, and just when Cunningham's about to do his whole death or liberty thing again, Johnson whips out a pistol and grabs him and puts it to his head. <laughs> and like, hey, 
uh, never mind that truce flag. We're, we're ending this. This is over. And as Cunningham gets taken back, Johnson gives the order to fire in this battle, the Battle of Castle Hill. Uh, 15 of the convicts are killed. Many others uh, just scatter into the bush. In the end, another 15 were killed while they were all being rounded up. Cunningham and eight other leaders were executed. The, the remainder were either put to hard labor or sent off to Norfolk Island. Many of them were flogged, but most were remanded to their previous positions when they claimed that they, they were coerced into joining. Like, oh, yeah. They, they had me. They had weapons. I I had to call him emperor. I had to protect myself. Yeah, it was it was the thing. I, I swear, I'm 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 a loyal boy now. In the battle, no colonial forces were harmed. I mean, some of the guards were beaten before the battle, sure. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, the site of the battle was gifted to a wealthy loyalist, Richard Rouse, possibly to keep Irish convicts from gathering there as as a memorial. Right. Uh-huh. They, they had this guy there to yell, hey, get off my lawn, you rabble-rousers. Uh, the Rouse Hill House is a historical heritage site of because of its unbroken chain of occupancy from 1813. Oh. The, the Rouse family for many, many generations continued to live there, and it's like a, a, a living strata of history. Ooh. So then we get to the end of transportation. Yes, there's no cars, no trains, no bikes. We all just sit down and we we uh, pretend we went places by clicking the forward arrow on Google Street View. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the end of transportation as punishment for crime. As free settlers came, they didn't want to share their new home with, with these convicts, these, these dirty poors. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they competed for work, and they gave the whole colony a poor reputation. Because <laughs> once it was built up by these convicts, again, mostly recruited from the poor, yeah, then the, the respectable middle-class colonists came in, and they, they, they weren't into that. They weren't into that look. Yeah, so let's kick them out. Who wants to live in a penal colony? Let's just make I'll, it a regular colony. Don't move to where it was. <laughs> I don't know how about that, then. Go build so, your own colony. So by lazy people. So by the 1860s, only Western Australia was accepting transported convicts, and British policy changed. There would be three last ships, one per year in 1865, 66, and 67. Mm-hmm. That's the end. So the final ship arrived, the Hugamont, uh, in Western Australia, January 1968. Happy 150th anniversary mm-hmm. to the final arrivals. That that last ship carried the, the final 281 convicts transported to Australia. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the end. They, they stopped getting new ones, sure, but there were still over 3,000 convicts serving their sentences in Western Australia alone. Some of them life sentences. Yeah. Eventually, you know, they, they finished their terms life sentences got commuted or they died uh-huh. uh, and the infrastructure came down. The, those offices went to managing regular old prisons, mm-hmm. went to just being general government buildings, administering anything. You can do anything out of an office. Yeah. They're, they're just rooms with, with desks in them. It's cool. Samuel Speed, the last living convict, died in 1938 
just before his 100th birthday. Dang. In his youth, homeless and hungry, Speed set fire to a haystack to get a warm bed in jail. (laughs) This led to a seven-year transportation sentence for arson. During his seven-year sentence, he built bridges. Afterwards, he found work. He was never convicted of anything else for for his nearly 100-year life. Yeah. Uh, He he became a model citizen. He just wanted to be warm. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is the end of the story of convicts uh, in Australia, the Australian penal colonies. So, darling, what have you learned? People are jerks. We're going to send you there to Which build... Which people? Ah, those people. We're going to send you to this place and invade a place, and you're going to build us some colonies, and then we're going to show up, and we're not going to like that you're there anymore. Mm-hmm. So we're going to kick you out. The, the perception of the, these convicts has changed a lot over time. Mm-hmm. They went from, you know, a necessary evil to a nuisance. After they were freed, not everybody was Samuel Speed. A lot of convicts yeah. were continually arrested for other things. But not so much, you know, theft or murder or, or all these uh, uh, dangerous crimes, but vagrancy, public drunkenness, the sort of nuisance crimes that polite, well-to-do, uh, uh, middle-class busybodies. Yeah. Are always getting in poor people's business with. Yeah. Yeah. Making the neighborhood look bad. Right, right. Yeah, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But now, like, if you can trace your ancestry to a convict, that's like a point. It's like street cred. That's bragging rights. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Or so I read. (laughs) Our Australian listeners may well correct us. I mean, I would think it would be cool. You would. Let's be (laughs) cool. I'd be like, yeah. Screw them. Great, great, great grandma. Forget totally the, a criminal. Forget the Mayflower. I want to be traced to the Hugomont. Right? Yeah. I don't want to be like, oh, yes, my ancestors were at Plymouth Rock. No, my ancestor was a pirate and there was mutiny and stuff. Mm-hmm. Great. I had no idea that the colonial history of Australia was so tied in with the end of colonial America. It's always interesting when you're looking at history and you start to realize, well, this was happening here and this is happening here. Mm-hmm. And like, it's And that they connected. were directly causal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of times where situations are so detached because they're in different places mm-hmm. and you don't realize the connections and stuff. So yeah, that is very interesting. The connection to other events happening throughout the transportation years. Right. Yeah, with I mean, Ireland and mm-hmm. various other things, either people being sent to Australia or people who are in Australia reacting to something going on somewhere else. A lot happens in 70 years. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure a lot of this is, is very surface skimming. Maybe. You gotta start somewhere. Exactly. You, you gotta hit square one or else how are you going to get to square two? It's easy to, I feel like, forget as like an mm-hmm. outsider of... This history. It's the it's opposite not. side of the world. Yeah. You think like, oh, they are transported there. You know, a lot of times you automatically think like life transportation mm-hmm. type thing. And you kind of forget like some of these were just for like a year. Seven. We're going to like send you all the way to Australia for a year. Seven years, 14 years and life were like the three most common lengths, it seems. Yeah. yeah. But it could be less. It like, could be. It could be. You know, it's just the fact though that. You kind of forget, and then it's like, what What those people do after? Yeah. What'd they do? Did I they... love the people that go back and then end up going back. 
That guy that went three times? Yeah. He was a, he's a card. And I love that the courts did not realize. <laughs> when he arrived back, like, hey. Brad, why are you getting off a ship? You're supposed to be up that mountain over there. Didn't you say you were only pardoned if you never left the continent? You left the continent, didn't you? Because you were on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job on that book, though. So we're going to take a quick break and be back with some letters okay. about people's favorite Australians. So many letters. So yeah. let's get right to it. Okay. Kristen sent us an email answering two prompts. Apple pie has always been a favorite pie. I can get on with that. I'm going to go with favorite of a specific brand and flavor of pie that is no longer sold in New Orleans where they live, and that is the Hugo Lemon Pies. What happens when a factory burns down? Oh, yes. You yes. can't get those pies. That's very sad. It's very sad. And as for the the Halloween prompt of Spookums, uh, in the French Quarter, there are an abundance of vampires. So don't go. Uh, and apparently, they have met one and had their fortune told. You fool. Oh, goodness. Hope hope that was a good fortune you got. Uh, also, in, in New Orleans, uh, one of the most famous Spookums is that of the, the tale of... Marie Laveau, uh, the voodoo queen of New Orleans. And we also got a picture of a dog. Thank you for the dog and the letter. Yeah. Thanks, Kristen. Bellafon writes in, answering the current prompt, favorite Australian. Bellafon's is Steve Irwin, uh, because he spent most of Bellafon's childhood teaching them the wonder and majesty of all animals. Yeah. And everybody had a Steve Irwin impression, and I'm glad that's over. I wish it ended under better circumstances, though. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bellafon. Uh, Lord Smaff sent us an email uh, with also favorite Australian is Ned Kelly, uh, which they guessed this episode was going to be about, but it was not. No. Ned Kelly was not a, a convict transported to Australia. Ned Kelly is the child of a convict transported to oh. Australia. Yeah. He was convicted of many things, but he was born there. Ah. So thank you for the email. Mm -hmm. T.D. Who writes in for the very first time and says some very kind things. Aww. Thank you so much. And as to the prompt, uh, their favorite Australian is Mick Dundee, the titular crocodile Dundee. <laughs> uh, but as for real, actual people, Hugh Jackman, the huge jacked man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Final Gamer sent us an email, uh, wished me a happy birthday. Thank Aww. you. Uh, also very surprised we have still not talked about a landslide or an earthquake. Just you wait. To, it will to, happen. To finish the classical elements. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Fire, water, wind. We got to yeah. talk about the earth. Aren't we always talking about the earth? It could be a volcano, too. Like, we could talk about a volcano. Oh, just wait till one of those hits the south suburbs. <laughs> Anyways, Final Gamer did send us a really good story about their favorite Australians. Plural. 
Yes, there are two of them. It was a pair of uh, gangster ladies uh, by the name of Kate Lee and Tilly Devine. Tilly Devine is my favorite burlesque performer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were known as the worst women in Sydney. Uh, they were criminal arch enemies of the 1920s uh, and dealt with selling alcohol during the Prohibition era. See, I didn't even know Australia had one of those. I did not know either. Kate ignored, uh, like, the rules of selling alcohol after 6 p.m., while Tilly uh, challenged laws that stated that no man could run a brothel. So she did the whole, like, two towers, I am no man thing. I am no man. Sorry, that that was Return of the King. I apologize. So they both grew their separate empires and became very fierce rivals. They also, like, like, trashed each other's stuff a lot <laughs> uh, and fought with each other. They, they punched. They, they did punched. Punch lots of punching. Tilly was apparently much more violent uh, and would set crooked cops on fire uh, and walk into men-only bars and beat everyone up who, who didn't pay at her brothels. And Kate was more of a joker. Uh, she'd show up in courtrooms and just, like, she wasn't there for the trial. She wasn't involved, but she just, like, heckle people there. <laughs> They don't teach you how to deal with hecklers at law school. No. No. Uh, They both got finally caught by tax evasion, died in poverty. Uh, Tilly, not many people cared that she died because she was mean. But Kate, (laughs) she she had a beloved memoriam for her. They sound great. (laughs) This this could have been a whole episode. Thanks, Final Gamer. Claire Dick writes in with some homegrown expertise as an Australian herself. Mm-hmm. And her favorite Australian is Don Dunstan, the former premier of South Australia, elected state leader from uh, 67 to 68, and then again from 70 to 79. The, the enduring public image is him standing in Parliament wearing some tiny little pink shorts which are on display in a historical museum, just so everybody can see how pink they are, because everybody was using black and white film, unfortunately. (laughs) When he had a decade in power, he lowered the voting age to 18. He decriminalized homosexuality. He abolished the death penalty. He introduced universal suffrage on the state level, catching up to the rest of the country. It was already in place for federal elections. He was such a supporter of the arts that art and film festivals are still the main source of tourism for the city, Uh, created an environmental ministry, appointed the first female judge and the first indigenous governor. He helped abolish the white Australia policy, uh, a restriction on immigration. You can kind of guess what countries they were restricting from the name. And it was even more racist than you're thinking. Yeah. Uh, the 70s were such a golden age uh, for the state that it is called the Dunstan Decade, uh, even after he resigned uh, to maintain his health. He remained a constant voice for progressive politics until his death in 1999. He never commented on his sexuality, but he was he was known to be in a relationship with a man from 1986 until his death. So there you go. Thanks, Claritic. Uh, James sent us an email answering two prompts. Favorite pie is chicken pot pie. And uh, for most inspirational Australian, is going to go with the young women uh, from Rabbit Proof Fence, a movie based on a book based on real events about three girls escaping forced removal from their aboriginal families uh, by traveling along Australia, Australia's Rabbit Proof Fence. 
I just want to give a blanket thank you to everybody who sent uh, book club suggestions to Jeff. Yes. One of them was, of course, uh, Rabbit Proof Fence. Yes. So thanks to all. Yeah. Sam writes in with a few prompts. Their favorite Australian is a four, almost five-way tie among their family members. Four of them are Australians, and the fifth is on the path towards citizenship. Aww. So mm-hmm. sweet. Uh, favorite serial killer, a tie between Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein for some Wisconsinite pride. Uh, favorite Olympic moment, Carrie Strug's one-legged vault. Yeah. Oh, my that's goodness. Great. I, I watched that. Yeah. Sam gets their favorite animal facts from a Tom Waits song, Army Ants, full of macabre facts about insects, including that ants keep slaves. Best up. Their favorite painting is 6B Panorama, which took their breath away uh, at a student art show. An enormous eight-foot-tall portrait depicting a cityscape as described by the rapper Aesop Rock in his song of the same name. Uh, You can match up the lyrics alongside with the painting to find... uh, uh, Everything that's in one is in the other. But finding it all is is a bit of a trick. <laughs> Favorite detective, a toss-up between Russ Cole from True Detective Season 1 and Sherlock Holmes as depicted in Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. <laughs> Favorite mayor, the cartoonishly evil mayor from Action League Now, uh, part of the Kablam cartoon sample pack. I liked that show as a kid. Kablam. Kablam. I... Angela Anaconda? I only saw a little bit of it. Okay. Prometheus and Bob, though, you would have loved Prometheus and Bob. We didn't have cable for very long Uh, in my childhood. And uh, their favorite history honeys from year one, Stan Lee. Thanks very much, Sam. Elspeth uh, sent us an email as a longtime listener from like the third episode, but it's just getting around to writing us. (laughs) Uh, Started listening to our podcast uh, when she was moving, uh, her brother, hi, Seth, got her into it. So thank you, Seth. And apparently she recommends us a lot to uh, people who come into the library where she works, including kids. Hi! She is a youth services librarian. Yeah, after all. well, you know, yeah. you don't just talk to, like, kids. You talk yeah. to everyone. Mm-hmm. Hi, teens. Yeah, so if you're listening and she told you to listen to us, hello. Uh <laughs> We got some dedication here to prompt answering. Every (laughs) single one is represented in this email. So we're going to do this. Favorite place and historical fact. The Portland Japanese Garden, uh, the Pavilion Gallery, was completed in in 1980 and dedicated on May 18th, the same day that Mount St. Helen erupted. What page... Of the newspaper did the Portland Japanese Garden make? Because uh, not page one. Nope. Nope. Uh, favorite boat, Lightship Nor. Uh, the first lightship stationed at a sandbank in the Thames River. Uh, favorite moral panic, D&D. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, she still has to correct some of the misconceptions about D&D when the library hosts programs in relation to it. So if you do successfully summon the demon, am I supposed to bring a dish to pass for them to? <laughs> what do demons eat? Favorite fashion trend, fingerless gloves. Favorite play or musical, Monty Python Spamalot. Uh, favorite TV ad, the... Toyota G Sports baseball ad. You gotta know how to find your G Sports. <laughs> Favorite amusement park ride, Space Mountain. Favorite public speech, Neil Gaiman's Make Good Art speech. Favorite local oddity, Shimoji Mayajima. 
Uh, it's a giant rice paddle, paddle, patty. Let's find out. <laughs> paddle. Pads rice. The world's largest rice scoop. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's a giant rice paddle that is uh, located near a place that she lived in Japan. Uh, favorite haunting, the Mount Baker Theater. Uh, it's a reportedly haunted theater uh, in her hometown. Uh, did a ballet recital there as a child and a sink came off the wall, apparently. That's not ghosts. That's just shoddy workmanship. <laughs> Never know. Maybe the ghost wanted to kill the plumber. <laughs> uh, so the ghost was a boo. You met Mario. Amazing. <laughs> Favorite sports moment. Yeah, Virtue and Moyer winning gold at the 2010 Vancouver Olympics in ice dance. Uh, they became the first Canadians and the first North Americans and the youngest people to win gold in ice dance. Favorite true story to film, Fly Away Home. I love uh, Fly Away it's Home. It's so good. Everyone should watch it. That's the movie where a little girl teaches orphan geese how to migrate in a special plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's Anna Paquin. That is Anna Paquin. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite holiday tradition, watching the Muppet Christmas Carol by the light of the newly lit Christmas tree. Oh. Uh, favorite thing in 2016, a new job. Congratulations. Uh, favorite futuristic idea. Transporters, like from Star Trek. Favorite Ooh. superhero, Sailor Moon. Favorite historical couple, Jane and Marcel Dulafoy. Uh, shortly after they got married, the Franco-Prussian War broke out. Uh, Jane dressed as a man and went off to fight with her husband. And after... If she wanted to fight with her husband, <laughs> they could have stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, after, she continued to dress like a man. And they both explored archaeological sites in North Africa in the Middle East. Uh, and became uh, famous for some of their excavations. Favorite labor union, uh, the Washington State Nurses Association. Favorite puppet, Miss Piggy or Henrietta Pussycat. From Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah. Favorite painting, Nymphaeus, uh, one of Monet's water lilies. We talked about that. Yeah. Well, vaguely. Uh, favorite play or musical based on true events, Hamilton. A favorite dog from history, Bailey. We'll go with that, Bailey. Heavy urban search and rescue dog from Canada uh, is trained to, like, carry items like insulin and stuff to victims that are trapped. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie uh, mm -hmm. from The Princess Bride that uh, Christopher Guest came into the film with the assumption that you'd only need to learn the sword fighting routines as needed. Uh, but Mandy Patinkin was really into stuff. <laughs> And accidentally stabbed him some in the leg. And a lot of times Christopher Guest was scared, actually, while filming. Yeah, that's not acting. <laughs> and uh, also took some extra, like, fencing lessons on, on his own in case he needed to, like, protect himself. I love every Mandy Patinkin story. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been... Mandy Patinkin, I love it, but I'm like, not safe acting, dude. No. <laughs> Be in control. I've, I've been on this Sondheim kick, and so uh, uh, I've side-swiped into a Manny Patinkin kick after hitting Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff. I listened to uh, his Evita while outlining this episode. Yeah. His Evita's good. I still prefer it. Right? Antonio Banderas. Right? <laughs> it's like, I love Mandy Patinkin, but Antonio Banderas was like born for that part. Which I never would have expected. He's no other recording matches him. No. I mean, they're, they're very different takes. Band uh, Patinkin's is very precise. Like, he, his irony is very biting. Yeah. 
Antonio Banderas is just so like passionate. This is like passionate, oh, raw, yeah. natural, like yeah. take on it <laughs> that we're big Avita opinions here. Okay. Anyways, back to this email we're writing oh. about. Are reading we, about. We needed to take an intermission from everything. <laughs> right? I think we're about halfway, actually. I'm just like so proud of her for writing this all out. <laughs> this is dedication. Favorite uh, History Honey episode uh, for you it's the Haymarket Affair or the Battle of Michigan Avenue. People Keep, really like the Battle of Michigan Avenue for keeping you. Keeping it local, I guess. Uh, for me, the Iroquois Theater Fire or Jim Henson. My dad agrees. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree. I think those are my favorites. Favorite mayor, Lord Vetinari from the Discworld books. Favorite summer festival, Oddity, Oban. A summer festival in Japan celebrating the spirits of your ancestors involving returning to your ancestors' burial place and tidying them up and dancing. All right. So Coco 2. Gonna dance in cemeteries. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite detective, uh, Inspector Robbie Lewis from the British show Lewis. Favorite fair, the Coos County Fair. Uh, spent a lot of time working there uh, in at the local 4-H booth. And there was apparently uh, something called the Purple Cow, which was a blackberry milkshake. And that sounds amazing. Yeah. I want to have that. Uh, favorite prophecy, the once and f- future king. Because Elspeth really likes... Um, Seen various interpretations of how people think King Arthur might return. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite pirate, Long John Silver, specifically Tim Curry's version. <laughs> uh, favorite historic house, Seifartha. It's Welsh. There's Seifartha no way to know how to say Castle, that. a fortified mansion in Wales. Its name means place of barking due to lots of hunting dogs in the past. <laughs> Uh, favorite alien, uh, Dax from Deep Space Nine or D. Len from Babylon 5. Spookum story, The Pendle Witches, a series of witch trials in England. Uh, 12 people were accused, 10 were hung, one died while waiting, and one was not found guilty. Yay! Yeah. You got one. Uh, favorite animal fact, American kestrels do not build their own nests. They use old nests from other large birds. Or they find oh, some yeah. nest-like structure, yeah. like a hole in a tree or something or like, like that. like a ledge on a building. Which seems very dangerous. <laughs> uh, favorite lawsuit, Doe versus Gonzalez. A group of librarians sued the government over the Patriot Act and the gag orders involved with requests for library records. And they won. Yay. Uh, favorite 2017 thing, started playing D&D. Favorite Olympic sport moment, Yuzuru Hanyu became the first man in 66 years to win back-to-back gold medals in Olympic figure skating. Uh, favorite activist, Fred Rogers. That is such a good choice. Yes! So that is a man I should do an episode on. Yeah. Uh, He's got that movie coming out soon. It's I, th- I think it's already out. It's like oh. a, it's like Netflix or Hulu or something made, oh, so it's like yeah, on yeah, yeah. streaming, I think. Mr. Rogers uh, was committed to a lot of uh, social issues. He took children really seriously, talking about you know issues that affected their lives, hunger, divorce. And he also argued for fair use recording of TV shows. And a highlight for Elsbeth was uh, getting to shake his hand when he showed up one day to uh, her church. Oh, I would have probably like cried. <laughs> Mr. Rogers. This is a weird one to follow with, but favorite serial killer doesn't have one. 
Uh, favorite roller coaster, the Matterhorn at Disneyland. Favorite pie, apple pie. Favorite Australian, Garth Nix, an Australian author who writes young adult fantasies. <gasps> and you did <gasps> it! We made it. I, I you think made you get it. like we a trophy it. for that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Elspeth. And thanks to everybody who wrote us a letter. That was extensive. <laughs> I, I need like hydration now uh so if you want to be like any of these fine people and send us an email you can send that to history honeys podcast at gmail.com right we want to hear your your stories your questions your comments or your prompt responses maybe a few at a time mm-hmm. just maybe yeah and again those can go to history honeys podcast at gmail.com so darlin what do you want to hear for next episode Okay, I want the prompt is what's your favorite live action Disney movie? Okay. If you don't have a Disney one cuz you're someone who doesn't watch Disney live action movies, it can be like childhood live action movie. We're expecting a lot of parent traps, maybe some Herbies. I mean, there could be someone out there who really likes High School Musical. Tomorrowland. That technically falls in- I love Tomorrowland. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. We all know yours. <sighs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see what sort of responses we get from that. I hope we get a lot of, like, 90s uh, Disney Channel movies. Yeah. Yeah. Zetus Apetus. Uh, <laughs> but you can also get in touch with us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh-huh. Those are all at History Honeys. Mm-hmm. But while you're out there, one of the best things you can do to help us is drop us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever else. You have the option to do so. Mm-hmm. It helps us meet fine folks like yourselves. Yeah. Or you can also tell a friend. You could be like Seth and tell your sister. You could be like Elspeth and tell your library patrons. Mm-hmm. Corrupt the minds of those young teens. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is coming out uh, Tuesday the 27th. And if everything's according to plan, this evening... Uh, I'll be once again on Roll20. Somehow both of these projects turn into an every other Tuesday schedule. (laughs) So again, you can look for the links on uh, our social media pages, or you can come immediately afterward and find the uh, archive right there at twitch.tv slash Roll20app. That's R-O-L-L-2-0-A-P-P. A-P-P. And with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.